we often compare ourselves to other people. And it's very, very easy to do that because we see other people in our daily lives and even more so on social media, Instagram, even in the podcast world. But what I think is more interesting and more valuable is comparing yourself to your previous self or your former self, right? So what would 10-year-old Joe think about 30-year-old Joe, you know, living in New York City in downtown Manhattan, working at, you know, a cool fashion startup, that 10-year-old would not believe that. And I think there's something to be said about that. So work on yourself and think more internally as opposed to comparing yourself to other people and trying to make it a competition. I just feel like if, if you do that, you're really never going to be satisfied and you're always going to be chasing more. There's obviously a, a spectrum to everything. You don't want to be complacent. And again, you, you can still do that with this kind of framework or, or thought process because hopefully 30-year-old Joe is amazed at 40, 45, 50, and so on and so forth. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. And we are live. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Great to be here. Absolutely. No, I'm super excited for you to be on the podcast. Obviously, you're the director of marketing for Koyo, and uh, I love what uh, what you guys are doing in terms of content-wise and your brand. And um, you have a wealth of experience in marketing. Um, but before we jump into all of that, perhaps like give us a little backstory on who you are and what you're up to. Uh, yeah. So going way back, actually born and raised in the Midwest. Um, in a town called Normal, Illinois, and uh, went to undergrad in uh, in Chicago. So got out of a small city as quickly as I could, essentially. Um, went to uh, DePaul University and studied advertising and uh, minored in film and sales leadership as well. But um, yeah, spent a lot of time uh, in Chicago for school, obviously, and then during the early stages of, of my career. But um, yeah, kind of started out in Chicago, um, and, and really enjoyed it there. That's awesome. And you're in New York now, obviously, um, mm-hmm. in marketing, uh, what, what, what kind of made you want to pursue um, a career in marketing? Uh, so initially when I graduated, I, I really wanted to actually go into, I'd say more traditional advertising, very much like Don Draper, art director, creative director, big ideas, TV commercials and things like that. Um, and as I was kind of job hunting, nothing was really sticking and I wasn't really finding my groove and, um, came across a co-working space in Chicago called 1871. Um, and they had just, uh, just launched as a co-working space. And this was before we work and I'd say the co-working space boom. So I was a little confused at what it was. Uh, and uh, two of my best friends actually had a startup, uh, and they worked out of there and I went to go tour the space and was just really intrigued by the energy and, uh, the cafeteria style collaboration of all the different startups. And one of the startups there at the time was called Spot Hero and they had just finished an accelerator program there called, um, Accelerate Labs 
which has since turned into Techstars, which uh, I'm sure you're you're familiar with. But um, as I was job hunting, noticed that Spot Hero was looking for a copywriter, and so. Coming from the advertising world, I had experience writing copy. Um, that's one of the first things you do if you have a trajectory to become an art director. So um, again, I kind of really enjoyed uh, the co-working space there in 1871 and the vibes and kind of uh, what little I knew about startup culture. And so I applied for that job as a copywriter um, and, and got it. And, and fast forward, um, Spot Hero was, was an early stage tech company and me being a copywriter, that kind of morphed into understanding content marketing and SEO and email marketing and all of the early stage kind of generalist marketing skills and knowledge that you need. Um, and so, yeah, it, it really started with um, getting my feet wet as a copywriter and that grew into being a uh, yeah more generalist marketer uh, for consumer products, uh, primarily online, obviously. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that copywriting piece is so important in uh, marketing uh, these days and even before, but uh, especially now. Um, a lot of our listeners are marketers, or even um, aspiring entrepreneurs or business owners. Mm-hmm. But would you have any like um, key insights on some best practice copy um, writing? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think maybe stepping back more generally is just if, if you're not a copywriter, if you don't feel like you're a strong writer, I would highly encourage you to practice that. And uh, there's so many different platforms that you can practice that. I mean, on the smallest scale, uh, Twitter is, is a great place. Uh, there you can experiment with, um, you know, what gets attention um, just by writing something and seeing what, what gets more engagement, what gets more likes, what gets more responses. Um, and on a larger scale, maybe strike up a Medium account or start your own blog, things like that. Uh, early in my career, I was working at Spot Hero full-time and also started getting into blogging and launching my own WordPress sites and was really living and breathing 24-7 content and copy and, and copywriting. Um, more specifically, uh, some quick tips that I always tell people who are starting out uh, in copywriting or just in content in general is you, you really want to stop and first understand who your audience is, right? Um, that is a huge first step where if you forget to do that, then you're already kind of behind the eight ball. Once you understand who you're talking to, then you can, um, use the language that they're most familiar with, right? Let's say you're talking with business professionals. You want to have a more buttoned up approach. If it's more casual, younger generation, uh, you know, understand the jargon and, and the lingo that they're using. Um, and second big point is just making it all about them, right? Uh, we're all reading thousands of things each day. People want to know and understand right from the top. How can this piece of content benefit me? How can it be valuable for me? Um, and then after that, making it very digestible for your audience. So bullet points, the use of headers, subheaders, making it very clear, uh, what this piece of content is about. Uh, you, you shouldn't, be trying to hide anything. You shouldn't, you shouldn't try to make it harder for the reader to understand what you're trying to communicate. Um, this is very obvious and it's very timely right now, but with the political scene, you know, every candidate has their agenda, they have their policies and it all boils down to, um, a very, you know, sharp saying, right? Uh, so obviously, unless you're talking about very complex issues that take, um, a lot of content or a lot of copy, um, but again, the last thing you want to do is make it hard or challenging for people to 
digest your content, whether that's a tweet or a blog post or a video. Um, you, you really, and you know, it takes time to do this, but, um, you know, more practice will get you better at making your messaging concise. Um, but yeah, those kind of three quick points more specifically, I'd say are great places to start. Absolutely. No, I love that. I love the, uh, digestible piece and also know who you're talking to. I think sometimes we lose, lose sight of that and, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of put the copy more of, we want to impress like, Oh, look at me, look at me. But really at the end of the day, it's uh, all about your audience and what they want and their needs. So, um, I'm not, that's really awesome. Um, but anyways, you mentioned that, uh, now you're in, in a bit more of a general marketing role, uh, obviously with Koyo, but what's, mm-hmm. uh, what's, what's, what's what's some aspects that you really enjoy about your current role right now? So I think that at Koyo specifically, so we are a direct-to-consumer luxury footwear brand. Um, we uh, have an e-commerce channel, and we, we do have four brick-and-mortar retail stores, which obviously have been shut down because of uh, the pandemic, but we're starting to slowly reopen those. But it's a um, it, it's very much marketing and design driven, and so what powers that machine is the creative. And so, what's really fun for me, having a background in advertising and film, and just kind of the arts and creative, is being able to execute in house a lot of campaigns um, and supporting those with uh, different shoots, uh, photo shoots, video shoots, things like that. So. Um, actually one that we're working on as we speak, that's been taking up a lot of my time. Uh, we are releasing an eighties, nineties aerobic sneaker. Um, and so we are producing all the content and the messaging to look like it was an ad from the late eighties, early nineties. Um, and it's actually interesting after what I just talked about with kind of copywriting best practices is, uh, we're going back and using best practices from the 80s and 90s. So um, actually long form copy uh, and really descriptive and uh, just kind of different design layouts and things like that. Uh, Think like Ogilvy on advertising that style um, and later stage kind of Mad Men-esque advertisements. But um, I I love getting my my hands dirty with actually executing these types of campaigns uh, and and being there on set um, and seeing it from top to bottom. If you're at a larger brand, you, you usually outsource that to a creative agency um, or another third party. Uh, but because we're very small scale, uh, we're just trying to cut costs and um, you know execute things as much as we can in-house. Um, I get to have a big part in those shoots. So that's been, as of recent, uh, the most fun I've been having. That's really cool. That's uh... mm-hmm. Keep a, keep an eye out for that eighties nineties uh, yes. uh, sneaker. <laughs> yeah, dropping uh, dropping early September. So um, it's it's very different than what we usually do. We usually do like very minimal design, kind of low profile, very versatile type of sneakers that you can wear. Um, you know, work outside of work on the weekends. I mean, these days it's you know wear at home and then made with your friends at a at a house party, but. Um, this is a, a departure from that and trying to kind of put us on the map in terms of being a more fashion forward type of brand. Well, that's really awesome. Um, speaking of marketing campaigns, uh, it sounds like you're doing a really awesome creative one right now, but 
looking back uh, at your career, it doesn't have to be at the current role now, but whatever um, that comes to mind. But what's, what was one of the most um, successful marketing campaigns you've ever been on? Um, so I, I want to answer this with success to me is um, more so like <clears throat> our community responding to it and getting really positive feedback and, and also sales, obviously, which is with a huge important part to any marketing campaign. But um, another Koyo example is uh, we often do collaborations with uh, artists or musicians or um, we've done some with surfers and pastry chefs. Uh, basically, when you think of a sneaker collab, you often think of athletes, right? You think of LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Tiger Woods or you know all these athletes. Uh, because we don't do any athletic, you know, footwear, we like to do collaborations uh, in a different kind of realm. And that realm is a very broad, let's say, art. art. And uh, we've been working on this one collab for about a year and a half. And it was with, uh, it was in partnership with a nonprofit based out of Chicago called Young Chicago Authors, YCA for short. And they hold a spoken word contest every year. And when we got a hold of them, we said, hey, what do you think about well, uh, this year's winner at the time it was, um, 2019. What if the winner got to do a collab with Koyo? Uh, they were really stoked about the idea as were we, and so we agreed upon that. And it was in the works for, for over a year is this really cool, um, design. And essentially what we did is we took the winner's poem, Tayshawn Levi, who's a really, um, talented young artist. Uh, we took her handwritten poem and we digitally printed it on one of our most popular products. Um, and so we were supposed to launch this collaboration um, at the beginning of back to school this year. Um, and then fast forward to uh, you know the, the pandemic and then George Floyd and social unrest. And we as a company internally, Coyo, we were really trying to understand you know, how can we, we respond in an organic, um, in an organic way? And we thought, okay, we have this, this, you know, this YCA collab, this is a young black artist. We could use our platform to kind of showcase her voice. So, uh, we spoke with YCA, we spoke with Tayshawn and we, um, we moved the collab up almost six months, uh, in, in a response to George Floyd. And we, and we thought, um, that would be the most organic, um, way to respond to this crisis because we knew that our audience, um, you know, our Koyo customers, they are um, very cause-based and they are more progressive and they care about these social issues. And so um, instead of a, you know, straight monetary donation or a percentage of sales, which, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's, a, that's what a lot of other brands have done and have been doing. And I think that's great. But um, again, I just thought this, this story, being able to tell a unique um, story from a person of color, uh, and just kind of using our platform to showcase that and kind of getting out of the way, um, that came across and it was really successful. We got tremendous feedback from our community, from our friends, from our family, from YCA. Uh, we partnered also with donating the proceeds to not just YCA, but Black Lives Matter and Good Kids Mad City, which is another grassroots movement in Chicago that Tayshawn uh, the author is, is highly involved in. So it just made sense. You know, uh, there are things that come along where 
the stars align. And obviously the situation was terrible, but we were able to, again, showcase a story that might not have been heard and use our platform for good. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of that. Um, we donated all the proceeds of the sneaker back to those charities and um, was, was really happy with the team scrambling to get that up. You know, it took a lot of time because we had planned to do it months later. But again, the timing was right. Uh, we got buy-in from YCA and it was very well received. And we're um, about 95% sold through of all the product that we created with them. So I, uh, yeah, I consider that a success. Absolutely. And I, I remember reading up on that, uh, that collaboration. And I love when mm-hmm. brands like yours have uh, a, cause, a cause-based initiative and user platform for good and shedding light to important issues in the community. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You also mentioned the pandemic. Um, being a luxury sneaker foot, uh, footwear <laughs> brand, how has that kind of affected you guys or even you personally the last uh, four or five months? Yeah. Um, well, personally, it's, it's actually been, um, kind of nice because I'm currently in a long distance relationship and my girlfriend lives in Chicago. And so I've been able to escape New York city and go stay with her. Um, and what was a long distance relationship came, became a very close distance, go close distance relationship very quickly. So, um, actually got to spend a lot of time with her, which was, which was fantastic. Um, uh, professionally, uh, with Koyo, obviously it was, um, it hit us hard in, in a couple of big areas. Uh, the first actually we started feeling it was early March because all of our production is in Italy. And if you remember way back to the beginning of March, which, you know, feels like two years ago, but, um, Italy was being hit really hard before, um, the States, um, kind of got it. So, we had planned, our production team had a trip planned to Italy. They had to cancel that. Um, the factory was shut down for two months. All of our production was shut down. And, you know, luckily we had a lot of inventory um, to, to kind of sell through. But all new products that we were planning to release uh, got pushed back um, a few months. And so we scrambled and, and just tried to um, to push our core product Um and as I'm sure you can imagine, not many people are looking for, you know, $250, $300 sneakers uh, when they're working from home all day, every day. So uh, we scrambled uh, to produce a, uh, a sock and slipper combo. Um, we actually went on sale for the first time just to try to alleviate, um, you know, as much friction as possible. Obviously, we can't uh, do everything and uh, the, the need for a nice sneaker um especially these days is just, you know, fewer and farther between, um, you, you wear nice shoes and clothes and apparel to, to go out at night, to go to an event, to go to a wedding, to go into the office too, you know, uh, offices are becoming more casual. So our, you know, low top sneaker is, is a great option for people, but if you don't have to go into the office, then you can just wear flip flops, um, around all day. So, um, yeah, acting quickly with the, the slipper sock combo going on sale, things like that, trying to stay top of mind, trying to stay relevant. Um, it's, it's been a challenge, but, um, thankfully we've, we've done really well. Um, we're, we're a small nimble team. So we've, we've been able to, um, kind of power through. And and also we started as a online and offline brand. So, um, about 56% of our sales are made up online. So, uh, it was easy to kind of, focus all of our time and effort on, um, on e-commerce. Uh, and for me, especially because that's, you know, 
half of my job is, is marketing and, and the also the other half is e-commerce. So we became a hundred percent e-commerce uh, brand for, for a few months and really got to fine tune some things online and, and focus on our online experience, which has already been a huge part of the business, but um, became the, the biggest part, obviously. So obviously still a lot of challenges ahead, um, but uh, we're moving and adapting as quickly as possible. Like, every other brand and company is um, right now. Absolutely. That being able to adapt and pivot uh, during times of uncertainty is definitely a mark of a, of a successful brand. And obviously that yeah. takes a lot of intestinal fortitude, as I like yeah. to call it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Say, um, what's kind of like the, a unique skill that you say would attribute to all this, uh, your career success? A unique skill of mine? Yeah. Um, I don't think it's, it's, <clears throat> it's too unique, but I am someone who really loves just having a hand in a lot of different pots. Um, and that, been, that translated really well, especially um, at early stage companies, because you kind of have to wear a lot of different hats or have your hand in a lot of different pots or, you know, be this, this generalist kind of uh, person. And so I feel like my personality uh, just meshed, meshed really well with uh, being involved at a few different early stage companies. Um, and again, I don't think that's super unique, but I was fortunate enough to kind of fall into a place where that type of personality, those types of skill sets, having a lot of different interests, being curious about a lot of different things, helped facilitate my career and, and helped me improve across all these different areas. Um, I feel like these days everyone has to be a generalist in some capacity. Uh, and so again, I've just been lucky with, um, with my career and, and, and my natural personality, just, uh, yeah, just being interested in, in a lot of different things outside of the office as well, but, um, professionally and inside the office, having to do a lot of different things. Um, that's, that's kind of all I've known as well. I've, I've never worked at a company larger than, than 40 people. Um, and I don't really have any idea, you know, what big corporate structure is like, and just to kind of focus your time and energy on one thing. Um, there's a tremendous value and, and use for that. And, you know, that's how companies, you know, scale obviously. And I'm sure I'll have to experience that at some point in my career, but I've really found this, this great niche of, um, yeah, being uh, a generalist and, and really championing that um, and being proud of it and, and trying to become, and I don't know if this is a thing, but become an expert generalist, right? I don't know if, 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 if that's a thing, but that's how I start um, telling people kind of uh, or describing my career and, and what I've been up to. But um, yeah, trying to become an expert as, as a generalist, I think is, is super valuable. And again, that's just kind of been my career to date. <laughs> I love that expert generalist stuff. Yes. Yeah. Using that. <laughs> yeah. Um, spreading it around. Yeah. What's, uh, what's, what sort of resources or even things you've read or listened to that's, uh, that's really inspired you? <clears throat> um, most recently, actually, I want to give a shout out to one of my, one of my best friends who, uh, started his own podcast about six months ago. It's called Rich Conversations. And he, he does, um, you know, kind of one-on-one -on -one 
podcast, but oftentimes he just kind of riffs on a topic that he's really knowledgeable about. And uh, the past two of these, uh, one he, <clears throat> one of them he did on the Beatles, which was just really educational, insightful, and, and thought-provoking. And then another one he did, um, he referenced the conversation with actually another one of our friends. Um, he runs a streetwear brand called Former Selves. Uh, and the quick idea there is we're, I feel like a lot of people these days, and I'm paraphrasing, these aren't my words, but, um, it's become kind of like one of my, um, uh, just something that I've been gravitating and thinking a lot about recently is, um, we often compare ourselves to other people. And it's very, very easy to do that because we see other people in our daily lives and, uh, even more so on social media, Instagram. Uh, Twitter, even in the podcast world. Uh, and we kind of, yeah, we, we stack our chips against their chips. But um, what what I think is more interesting and more valuable is comparing yourself to your previous self or your former self, right? So, uh, you know, what would 10-year-old Joe think about 30-year-old Joe, you know, living in New York City in downtown Manhattan, working at, you know, a cool fashion startup, that 10-year-old would not believe that, right? Um and, and I think there's something to be said about that. So trying to, you know, work on yourself and, and think more internally as opposed to comparing yourself to other people and, um, yeah, trying to make it a competition. I just feel like if, if you do that, you're really never going to be satisfied and you're always going to be, um, chasing more, um, which, you know, there's, there's obviously a, a spectrum to everything. You don't want to be complacent. Um, and again, you, you, you can still do that with this kind of framework or, or thought process because, uh, you know, hopefully 30 year old Joe is amazed at 40, 45, 50 and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, that, that podcast, rich conversations, highly recommend it. And especially those two episodes, one about the Beatles and then the, the former selves, um, podcast as well. Quick ones too. Quick hit. That's awesome. You know, I also really love the, uh, compare yourself to only yourself and not other people. Cause oftentimes, like you mentioned with social media and everything going on, it's hard to look inward and just want to compare. Yeah. Oh, I want this, I want that. It's uh, absolutely not. It's not so true. And um, I hope, yeah, I hope people are taking the time to, to do that now while there's not as much other distractions, you know, people are quarantined inside and hopefully are doing some self-reflection and, and, and trying to, learn more about themselves and um, it's, it's a worthwhile exercise for anybody. That's for sure. Absolutely. Totally agree there. Um, I just want to quickly switch gears um, mm -hmm. a little bit more marketing, uh, but I'm curious to know what's uh, from your perspective, Joe, what's, how's the industry kind of changed from when you first started to, to now? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to, um, I think not just marketing, but I, I've been, like I said, kind of in early stage startup mode for most of my career. And it's been interesting to see, well, I guess marketing first. Um, I don't think Facebook and Instagram is, is as dominant as it once used to be. Um, and I'm sure you hear that a lot, but, um, it was much easier to put our eggs in one basket and get a tremendous return on investment with just using Facebook and Instagram as your main acquisition channel. Um, and hopefully people have learned to, you know, diversify as, as much as you can and as quickly as you can, you know, not just make it about Facebook and Instagram, I'd say that. Um, and then also more so than ever, it's, it's really about content. Um, and I, just to preface, 
you know, I should have said this at the top, but just to preface all my experiences with consumer facing brands, um, some direct consumer, um, but yeah, all consumer facing brands and, and content is, is a huge part of that. And, and I think will be a huge part of that for, for years and decades to come. It's, it's, it's not good enough just to post a few images on Instagram, but you need to become a thought leader in your space. Um, when I was at Spot Hero, I wrote so much content about parking. Uh, you wouldn't believe it. I built, you know, dozens of websites dedicated to parking around JFK and DCA and all these other airports and stadiums and things like that. Um, and, and all that content is evergreen, you know, it's going to stay on Google forever. And, and people go to Google by far, um, the most when they have a question, uh, and they want it answered, right? Yes. People are going to Amazon, but they are looking for something to shop, right? They don't have a question. People are going to Google to, to get questions answered. So if you can produce content to answer those questions, um, and if you can, you know, beat your competitors to the punch, uh, that's going to pay dividends for years and decades to come. I, I, I can't stress um, how big of a um, investment you should be putting into into content, um, and especially for direct consumer brands. Um, one of the uh, newsletters that I read um, weekly is called Two PM. Uh, have you heard of it, Joe? Uh, Two PM? No, I don't yeah. think so. So I would, I would highly recommend subscribing if you're yeah a fan of direct consumer or commerce or just kind of um, e-commerce, the new, the new age that we're living in, which is essentially everything because all, you know, brick and mortar stores are closed, but um, he preaches a lot about linear commerce, uh, essentially meaning uh, you sell products, but you're also a content hub. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a good example of this. Um, if you're familiar with the brand away, the luggage brands, so they started as a luggage brand, but then they started producing their own magazine all about travel and lifestyle. Right. So they're really, um, kind of trying to morph into a media company. Um, because again, that's the content that keeps you engaged. Uh, if, if you're a direct to consumer brand and not making strides to become a media company, uh, then I think you're doing something wrong. And, and the reason to push from, um, you know, a, a product driven company, uh, to a, a media driven company is people will come back to a media site much more frequently because content gets updated much more frequently, right? Uh, us as a brand, we can only release sneakers, you know, um, every so often throughout the year, right? But if we produce content daily or weekly, there's something new and fresh and valuable to give to our audience, right? Um, while selling products as well. Um, you know, I'm not saying completely pivot your business model. Your business model should always stay, you know, product driven. But again, if you're wanting to engage people and keep them engaged, the best way to do that is to produce quality content in the sphere that your products live. Um, so that's, those are kind of the changes that I've seen happening over the years during my career. And it's, it's only getting bigger and bigger. Absolutely. So I love the media content uh, piece of that. Uh, one of the marketers I actually uh, follow is Gary Vaynerchuk, and he always mentions that uh, yeah. the, you're a, this company plus or comma a media company. So you're a fuller yep. comma media company. So um, yeah, producing content is kind of the name of the game uh, these days. And I'm really being that media company that people can uh, engage with and also um, 
you also stay top of mind when they do want to make a purchasing decision. So um, yeah. integrating con- uh, media into your uh, business model is definitely um, something I always like to mention, but uh, no, that's awesome. Um, for I, I saw in your profile that uh, you actually did some uh, speaking for South by Southwest in terms of digital marketing. So mm-hmm. uh, I want to get your perspective on what are some components of a great digital marketing strategy? Um, so it, it starts with content. Honestly, when whenever I speak with people who are starting their digital strategy, I, I always tell them to, to start with content. And whether it's a blog or an email newsletter, um, uh, you, you got to start somewhere. And uh, also organic content, right? So obviously like Facebook ads, Instagram ads, uh, Google search, like that's content kind of sort of, but it's not organic, right? Um, uh, like I said, a blog post is going to be posted on your site, but it's going to live there for weeks and months. Um, and, and hopefully years if it's, if it's written well enough. Um, a newsletter is, you know, relatively inexpensive, uh, to, to execute, um, posting organically on social media. Again, that's relatively inexpensive to, to execute. Uh, it just kind of takes some, some time and thought to, to put behind it. But I always tell people to, yeah, start with, with content and, and really building a solid content strategy. Um, after that, when you kind of get your feet wet, um, actually, one more thing to say about that is you, you can start understanding um, a bit better how people are responding to your content, right? So then you can take those learnings and implement those across paid platforms. Um, for early stage companies, the easiest by far is Facebook um, and and Google search, right? And hopefully you're taking those learnings from your content and putting those into Facebook ads, Instagram ads, uh, Google search ads. So you don't have to learn while spending money. Um, after that, it kind of opens you up to the, the floodgate of, you know, more things like affiliate, um, influencer, PR, um, maybe direct mail if it, if it's right for you and your business, um, brand partnerships, in-person events, things like that. Uh, you know, there are dozens of, of articles online that I'm sure you can read, but from my perspective, again, uh, getting that foundation right, um, and, and testing a lot early on with organic content. Um, that's where I would start and then get into the paid channels um, after that. So a bit of a hypothetical for you here, Joe. Um, yeah. Let's say uh, you're magically given 50% more budget. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> you mentioned all these platforms, but for you personally, what would you uh, use that extra budget for? Yeah, great question. Um, I think I think I would use a portion of it, uh, a, a good chunk, let's say, you know, a quarter to a third. Um, and actually produce some really high quality content. Um, we've had one specific asset, uh, that was a 90 second kind of brand introduction video, very high production value, um, uh, on set in Italy at one of our factories, kind of, um, you know, what made in Italy means to Koyo, the two founders, talking heads, talking to the camera behind the scenes. And that asset, although it was very expensive to create, was one of the best performing assets on paid social inorganic content for over 18 months. Uh, so I would love to, first and foremost, produce another piece of content like that just to freshen it up. Uh, we've learned a lot uh, in the past couple of years that we could use to produce another piece of content like that. 
Um, so I would do that. And then, um, yeah, the rest I would kind of disperse among our, our best performing uh, digital channels. Um, again, we uh, maybe obviously spend about 10% of that and, and experiment with some other channel or do something different. Um, you always want to be testing, experimenting. But yeah, the bulk of it would be content and then channels that are already performing for us um, just so we can have uh, some faith in knowing that money will um, will come back. Absolutely. For From your perspective, what's kind of the components of a good customer experience? You got all this content, you got all this uh, great marketing strategy, now they're on yeah. here. Now they're customers. How do you um, keep a great, I guess, keep that high high bar of uh, a great brand and um, customer experience? It's, it's not easy. Um, and when I think of brand experience, customer experience, it's it's really all encompassing, right? So I'm obviously biased because I've been working in marketing and brands my entire career, but it it really is everything from the first Facebook ad someone might see to the online chat feature and that customer experience interaction that they're having to the post purchase email to the um, <clears throat> the opening experience when you actually get. Uh, the box uh, and uh, what the inserts say on there. And if, you know, heaven forbid you have to return it, what that return experience is like too. So there's so many uh, different touch points, uh, you know, not to mention the in-store experience as well. Um, and me being extremely thoughtful for each one of those touch points, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible, you know, especially at the early stage scale to, obsess over each one of those. So you really do have to have to pick your battles. Um, obviously you want to, you want to start with the highest touch points. Um, that would be the, you know, onsite user experience and the in-store experience, wherever, um, you have the highest traffic, but you really should care about each one of those points. Um, and there are so many like cool little nuggets that you can put in there to infuse your, your brand and your voice and your tone some small examples, you know, are, um, putting, um, little notes at the end of your, um, order confirmation emails, you know, everyone reads like PS, here's a cute little note or in your footer uh, or in your packaging, um, or in your chat widget that pops up. There are so many of these cool moments that, um, that are really memorable, right? Um, it's, no one's going to remember the thing that looks like everybody else's experience. Right. But it's, it's those memorable moments, um, that are often the, the smallest ones, uh, the ones that surprise and delight you. Right. Um, and again, those, those are, are challenging to scale. Um, but those go a long way. And so, yeah, it, it, it really is just kind of sitting down, mapping out your entire customer journey. What are the touch points and, and, across each one of those touch points. Okay. How can we infuse what we stand for our, our mission, our values, our tone of voice? Um, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's really fun. Um, and it's, it's a great exercise to really understand, um, as a brand, if you're still starting out, you know, what's important to you, what do you care about? And again, you can't do it all at once. You got to pick your battles when you first start, but, um, it's, it's a never ending process too. You're, you're going to grow, you know, from being a baby to a toddler to, you know, crawling, walking, running, it's, it's always going to be a work in progress. Building a brand is, is, you know, it's, it's never over. 
Absolutely. I love the uh, work in progress piece. Just yeah. being consistent, being patient, being authentic. Exactly. Um, from from kind of your from your experience and or your expertise, what's kind of the biggest challenges uh, growing a brand or even uh, starting out uh, with a new brand? I think when when you're first starting out, you have, especially if if you come from a world of marketing and branding um, and advertising, you have a lot of a lot of aspirations and kind of pie in the sky ideas of what your brand could be. Um, and you don't get there in six or 12 or 18 months. It takes years and years to get there. Uh, and I think that that can be uh, very taxing uh, and very frustrating because you want to do all these big and grand ideas, but you know, it's oftentimes you and your co-founder or you and your co-founder plus one plus two, the reality is you don't have the resources to be an Everlane or an Allbirds or an Airbnb on day one. You, you have to start somewhere. Uh, and so knowing that it's going to be a work in progress and that it's going to take time and that, you know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, and you, another cliche, but you really got to kind of love the process of, you know, crawling and then walking. And I, I struggle with that quite a bit earlier in my career because I love these big brands of the world that are doing amazing work, you know, the apples, Nikes of the world. And when you compare yourself to those, you know, this is kind of back to the former sales conversation. Uh, you just get kind of bummed out and it's like, well, damn, like I want to be doing all this cool stuff. I want to, um, you know, Airbnb, I want to turn a blockbuster into an overnight experience. But, um, Again, the reality is you don't have the resources to do that. If you did that, no one would care because no one knows who you are. Um, you you got to have some perspective about where you are in your life cycle of a brand. And, and you got to start small. You got to start with small wins. Um, and one of the ways to do that if you're a small brand trying to grow is make it more about your customers. You know, focus on that experience and make it a memorable and a beautiful one because that's going to resonate with them. And your earliest success with those customers is um, is really valuable because they're going to go tell their friend about this amazing experience. And as time comes along and as you learn about yourself and as a brand and, and who you are, it's going to get easier and it's going to get quicker. But um, yeah, you, you really got to start small and, and, you're, and work your way up and, and understand your scale um, and understand the impact you can have. Um, and, and just focus on that, focus on the small wins, focus on the things you can control. And again, oftentimes that's on a one-to-one customer basis. That's right. No, I love that. Um, only a couple more questions for you here, Joe. Um, yeah, we're cruising. Yeah, we are. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm like I'm in a hot seat. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. But, yeah. uh, what are your, what are your uh, favorite social, social media networks? Um, I spend the most time on Instagram for sure. Um, I'm just a visual kind of guy, images, video stories. Um, that's where I spend most of, most of my day. I'm trying to get better at Twitter, but I'm just, I'm just not really good at Twitter. Um, I also, I don't know if you have this, but sometimes I sit there cause I just like want to be better at it. So I sit there thinking of like, what should I tweet? And I'm like, mm, that's stupid. Or like, mm, that's not funny enough. Or like, oh, that's not witty enough. Or 
no, that's not smart enough. And I just end up like not posting anything. It's kind of like scrolling through Netflix and just not watching anything. Exactly. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to get better at it, but I've just never been good at it. So um, I'm good at uh, being artsy and, and silly and posting dad jokes on Instagram. So, um, you know, I'm not going to give up on Twitter, but yeah, I, I live on, uh, on Instagram creatively. Where's uh, where's TikTok in that mix? <laughs> TikTok is not quite there. I um, I haven't experimented with it yet. Um, I, I know I will at some point. I hear it's actually a pretty um, pretty powerful algorithm, and it, it serves you like just the most relevant content you could ever even think to search for. So uh, it's only a matter of time. But in terms of like brand positioning for Koyo, like that's not where our consumer is. So I'm not, I'm not running there by any means. Right. Right. Might have yeah. to brush off some of my TikTok dances though, if I want to jump on there. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So what are you proud of? Maybe are you, or sorry, what are you proud of that? Maybe we haven't touched on in the interview so far. Oh, um, I talked about the YCA. Um, Oh, uh, one thing I did have in my notes is I, I'm always really happy when I recruit somebody to my team, um, especially at an early stage company and founders and CEOs and people who have worked in early stage companies can, I'm sure attest to this, but, um, you know, you're, you're with your employees all day, every day. And at a big company, it's easy to kind of find your, your niche or your, your group of friends. Um, or kind of hide in the background, but you can't do that at an early stage startups. When, when there's four or five or six of you around a table, if you don't get along, if, if you don't gel, if you don't mesh, uh, those issues come to the service very quickly and they tend to work themselves out. Um, either you or the other party, you know, it just, it just doesn't work out. So when you can find somebody and bring them to the team and they are a great worker, um, they care about what they're doing. They care about the brand. Um, and they're also like a really solid hang and, um, fit culturally, that's a huge win and a huge weight off of, um, a team's shoulders. Um, hiring talent is hard. Retaining talent is even harder. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy to say that each place I've worked at in my career, I've hired at least two, sometimes up to five people at an early stage company, which, which says a lot. And a lot of those people are still either working at these jobs or have moved on to bigger and better things and have not burned any bridges along the way. Um, and again, I just can't stress how important that is to an early stage company. Um, and it's, it's so fun even now, just thinking back at, um, the people I've worked with and some of them are still my best friends and so fun thinking, um, about, you know, in the future, who I'm going to think about for a role at Koyo or maybe, at my next gig, uh, finding it through a network that I've built. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with, um, some of my previous hires and current hires and, um, and hires that I hope to find in the future. Absolutely. So much, so much of the time it's finding that good fit. Like you mentioned, having that, uh, uh, cultural fit and even being a good hang as well. Um, exactly. Yeah. My, my next question is a little bit, uh, maybe tricky. I don't know, but, uh, what's one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked, Joe? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this one quite a bit. 
And well, with, with a lot of these questions, I, I was like, should I answer this like in a serious, you know, manner that makes me sound super smart and like, I know what I'm talking about, or do I want to be like more kitschy and fun and, and silly. And, um, this one, yeah, this, this one kind of fit that as well. But I, I ended up with, I, um, I wish people asked if, if I'm having fun with something more often. I feel like that you got that question a lot more when you were younger, because I guess kids are supposed to have more fun than adults, but I don't think that necessarily has to be true. Like, you know, Joe, I hope you're having fun with this, with this podcast, you know, podcasts are fun. Um, and I'm, I'm having a lot of fun at Koyo, especially now executing this aerobic campaign, but I just, I don't think, uh, especially in working with working professionals and, uh, career, um, you know, I understand if you're working in a very serious environment, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human and we like to smile and we like to have fun, you know? Um, and I, I wish more people asked like, oh, are you having fun? Or like, was that fun? Not just in a personal uh, setting, but in a, in a professional setting as well. Um, and, and I'm happy to report that I've been having a lot of fun, you know, all things considered, you know, I'm not ignoring anything that's happening in our world or society, but, um, yeah, like, uh, let's, let's ask each other if, if we're having fun, everyone. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I can tell you I'm having fun with this podcast. <laughs> good, good. I hope you are too. And yeah, yeah you're so, you're so right. Like sometimes it's just good to stop and smell the roses, if you will. It's just, life's too short to just kind of burn to burn to burn to ashes just grinding 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 so much but uh that's awesome um yeah so where can listeners connect with you online um i'm i'm like i said i'm trying to make twitter work so let's let's go with (laughs) twitter so um yeah follow me or shoot me a message on twitter my handle is at joe from normal um, that's, uh, that's probably the easiest and, um, and best place to, to follow me or shoot me a note. Awesome. Yeah. I'll put that, uh, in the description of the podcast. So any listeners that want to come up with Joe, reach out to him. And yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Like I mentioned, I had a ton of fun. I hope you did too. Yeah, um, I did. It was a great interview. And since it's a marketing and branding podcast, um, I like to end the interview with asking the guests uh, to, a- to answer one word or phrase that describes themselves. So my question to you, Joe, is what's one word or phrase that you would t- use to describe Joe and Halt's brand? Yes. Another, another great question that I um, had a lot of trouble with. Um, and actually when I thought about this, it was um, not to take up too much more of your time, but uh, you know, you obviously have, your own brand internally, but then I think maybe more importantly is what's your perceived brand, right? So if you were to survey your, your friends or family or coworkers, what would they say? Uh, and so I actually surveyed my friends, um, and asked them this question. And, um, most of them responded with something along the lines of, uh, genuine and heartfelt and a good eye. So, um, yeah, I think, the having a good eye and, and being heartfelt, I think those are the two things that um, were very nice of, of them to say. And I think I'll go with that. So um, yeah, a good eye and, and heartfelt. 
This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.